so the whole paleo thing is, is sad. It's marketing. Uh, it's going to lead to an epidemic of disease in the people who follow it. The people lose weight initially. They do. And, and, and I have doctors say, listen, my patients get better when I put them on a paleo diet. And, and yeah, they, they lose weight, their cholesterol gets better, diabetes gets better. Absolutely. Because <clears throat> the paleo folks say some things I agree with. They say no caveman ever milked a dairy cow, so they're down on dairy. No caveman ever crushed the fat out of olives and poured it out of their, their salad, so they're, uh, they're down on oil products. And there's no caveman ever crushed weed and turned it into flour to make vegan cupcakes, so they're down on baked goods. And you, well, you eliminate the, the, the dairy, the oil, and the flour products from your diet, man. You, you're going to trim down. That's going to do good things for you. And that'll lower your cholesterol, and that'll make your, uh, your uh, insulin resistance uh, decrease. But I say, folks, don't be seduced by these early changes. What are you really brewing up long term? This is like putting diesel fuel in a gasoline burning engine. And, and you're going to create some really adverse uh, uh, changes that are going to be, they come on hard and irreversible once you get the cancer or the stroke. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and each week since 2016, we've been sharing stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose with the intent that everyone wakes up to the truth that we are here on purpose for a purpose. Each of us holds unique gifts to be shared with the world, our communities, families, and of course, with ourselves. We hope that this podcast continues to give all our listeners the permission and encouragement to shine their light bright in this world because there's no one in this world like you. Today, our guest is Dr. Michael Clapper, an American physician, vegan health educator, internationally recognized teacher, and sought-after speaker on nutrition and health who has been shining his light in the medical community for decades. Dr. Clapper graduated from medical school in 1972, turned vegan in 1981, and holds a level of experience and expertise that is near impossible to surpass. He is a member of the plant-based telehealth family and the first doctor we have spoken to in the five-plus years we've been doing this show who is going into medical schools to share the mountains of evidence and health benefits of living a whole foods, plant-based life. Dr. Clapper teaches that health comes from healthy living and dedicates himself to the healing and flourishing of all living beings and our planet. I will assume that most of our listeners have seen Dr. Clapper in paradigm-shattering documentaries and heard him speak many times. And if that is the case, I will also assume that you are like BJ and I, and you just can't get enough. So without any further ado, Dr. Clapper, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction and what great work you guys are doing. It's just an honor for me to be here and share with your audience. So thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, well, we are incredibly honored, and I know our guests have just sat up a little bit straighter and turned the volume up because they're not going to want to miss a beat of this. We know you're super busy and uh, extremely grateful that you're here. So to start off, and although your story has been told, and you have told it, God, how many, I mean, thousands of times, (laughs) probably tens of thousands of times, um, I think we'd be remiss not to have you retell it because at such a young age, you were exposed to, you know, really, for the lack of a better word, kind of the horrors of uh, 
the animal industry and animals as food and dairy especially. So if you wouldn't mind taking us through your well-told story, we'd certainly appreciate it. Okay. Well, uh, back in the 1950s, how about that for dating myself, um, every summer the big bad old polio epidemics would uh, roll through the major cities, uh, and it was terrifying to see these kids wind up in iron lungs. And uh, my uh, mother's favorite uncle had a dairy farm up in northern Wisconsin. And so in summer came, whoop, my brother and I got uh, shuttled up to the, my uncle's farm where we spent the, my first 16 summers driving tractors and slinging hay bales and milking cows. We had 49 cows and we had a bunch of chickens. It was a, it was a working dairy farm. And... It was a life-changing experience for me. It introduced me to the natural world. My my winters in Chicago and the school was full of buildings and, uh, and, and book learning. But in the summertime, my world was filled with animals and, and thunderstorms and, and physical work for a growing boy. And it was just magical. And as I said, there were animals everywhere, foxes and salamanders and deers and cows. And, uh, and I love the cows. They're such sweet, beautiful animals. Uh, but there was a few things I didn't understand. I, I did what I was told. I, by age and eight or nine, I knew how to put the milkers on, the milking machines on, and I uh, couldn't, couldn't lift the, the bucket, uh, the full milk cans out. Had my, my older brother had to help me. But I certainly understood the milking uh, procedure. And, but I didn't understand the biology of it exactly. You know, because some cows were giving milk, some weren't. Uh, and uh, my my uncle kept their track in his little little shirt pocket notebook there, which cows were giving milk, which weren't. And we might get into why some do and some don't. Uh, but the, but by age nine or ten, I was starting to hear the most horrifying sounds that I never did understand till till much later. And that is the sound of a mother cow locked up in a stanchion. Uh, she just had a baby, and my uncle has come and scooped the baby up and put the baby in the veal pen about 10 yards down in the dairy barn there. And this mother is calling to that baby. The, the bond between a, a mother cow and her calf is so strong, so the maternal uh, force is so great. Uh, and she bellows hour after hour, the most heart-rending, soul-tearing cries. And it goes on, as I said, all day, all night, day after three days, four days, five days. It just haunts uh, the entire farm. It gets into your bedroom at night. And I didn't understand what, what was going on about it. But I'm an eight-year-old kid. What did I know? Uh, but I can still hear that horrible sound. Uh, well, uh, much later, the biology became manifest that people think cows are in the dairy barn giving milk. That's what they do. No, they don't. They are. There's only one reason those big mammals are giving milk. They just had a baby, like all other mammals. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, normally, that milk uh, is now the baby's food to grow on and turn into a big cow. Uh, but that's, uh, that's theft from my uncle. He wants that milk to sell to the dairy. And so the calf is now the enemy. And that's why that calf got scooped up and put into the veal pen. It was a little boy calf. But little girl calves uh, wind up with four-legged milk pumps like their mother. No calf stays with their, with their mother. 
And people have to realize it, it just strikes you as cruel, which it is. Uh, and you, you walk in the dairy barn, there's an air of sadness hanging you know, in the air. And, they, and these cows have these big tears going down their face. I never understood why. It's because they're all new mothers who've had their babies just taken away. If you if have milk is to keep flowing, you must keep taking those calves away from their mothers. There is no way around it that's inherent in dairying. And, uh, and that made a big impression on me. What happens to those, uh, the boy calves, they're kept in that dreadful little pen for, for four months until uh, uh, they're hung up by their heels, shot in the head, and flesh stripped off their bones and turned into milk-fed veal. Uh, the veal industry is an absolutely essential offshoot of the dairy industry. If you, every other calf is a boy, and they'll never give milk, and so uh, you must keep killing the, the male calves. And, um, and the whole, it's a, it's a bloody operation just to put a bow on it here. Uh, people think, well, at least you don't have to kill the cow to give the milk. Yes, you do. No dairy cow dies of old age. The, after five, four or five years of calves and milk, their milk production goes down, becomes a waste of, of food and grain for my uncle. So he calls the truck from the slaughterhouse and off she goes. Uh, and, uh, uh, they're shot in the head and the, uh, and the, the flesh from the dairy cows doesn't look very appetizing in the meat case, so it's ground up uh, into ground beef hamburgers. And when you go into the fast food restaurants, uh, what you're really eating in those burgers is ground up old dairy cows. That, that's where they wind up. And so the dairy barn is just a short stopping off place on the way to the slaughterhouse for a few years of calves and milk. That's what dairying is. And women, and, and, and they're innocent, and, and the dairy industry is expert at keeping this biology, biological fact hidden. Uh, and so every time they unknowingly put that the container of Greek yogurt in their shopping cart and another container of Parmesan treat. They're, they're paying to take another calf away from its mother. You know, to, to shoot another old dairy cow in the head there. It's such a grim deception. So, um, but, uh, but all I knew was that haunting cry from, from the dairy bar, but now I understand why. It's a cruel, cruel industry, and, uh, and, and that's one truth that people need to know. I'm glad we're, we're bringing that out in this, this podcast. Yeah, let's, whoa, I think we all kind of need a breath after that um, because it is so heartbreaking and hmm. it's so heartbreaking. I don't want to gloss over that. It, yeah. it absolutely and it's so useful. We have no more need for the milk of a cow than we can do a milk of a giraffe. I mean, would you pour dog milk on your cereal or, or rat milk? You know, what, what do, we, do we think there's something magic about cow milk? There isn't. We're the only animal that drinks the species, the milk of another species mother. It's a, it's a bizarre thing to be doing. And plus, it, and it's got health things, raises cholesterol, it sets off allergies, it's, the milk has pesticides, leukemia viruses. It's, a, it's not friendly stuff uh, for, for a little bit of protein. Have another bean burrito and save yourself all the the problems that come from dairy products. Sorry, I didn't even cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, it, no. As you know, you know the majority of our listenership are athletes, right? And we are marketed. Um, you know, even even Yogi Triathlete gets marketed these products, which I'm like, yeah, you might have you know wanted to check out our bios first to know that we're all the coaches are vegan, um, but they're they're marketing and wrapping up. Yeah, that was a thumbs up right there, a little thumbs up to all our coaches who are vegan at Yogi Triathlete. 
But we're being marketed whey protein and we're being marketed it in a way that it is what more absorbable. Like it's your recovery would be faster and quicker and it's a better form of protein um, over plant protein because it absorbs in the body faster. And, and at least that's what I've been told. I'm sure there's many other angles, but if you could speak to that whey protein, um, you know, for the athletes listening who are are using that, and, and maybe it sways them. We're not here to change anyone, but damn, we are here to tell the truth. Well, we got to take a big step back about talking about protein powders in general. They're they're really an unnatural food, even the plant based ones. <laughs> uh, you know, when we eat protein, I mean, you need some protein every day. Not very much, the truth of it. You need the, the actual protein requirement, 20, 30 grams a day. But now we, but most people eat 50 or 60, way uh, a generous amount. That's all anybody really, really needs. Body millers may need an extra 10 grams or so. Uh, but the idea that you got to eat the huge amounts of protein or make those big muscles, it's just not true. You know, if you eat brains, you don't get smarter. And, just, and eating much of protein doesn't suddenly make your muscles bulge there. That, that's silly. But it, what it does do is create some uh, adverse effects in the body. Two things. One, the protein we're really supposed to be eating in the form of whole plant food and lentils and beans and chickpeas and whole grains, etc. When you eat that bean burrito, no cheese, uh, or the lentil stew, the, the, the amino acids in the protein, there's a lot of them, they're absorbed very slowly and gently. Uh, they've got to be freed up from the fiber of the bean and all that. And, and the amount of protein in the blood goes up very gently. It doesn't cause a big uh, uh, pharmaceutical effect in the body. But when you grind up the protein down to a powder and extract it and concentrate it, and you add 100 grams of that into a smoothie, um, well, that's absorbed like this, and it's a marketing hype. Oh, the whey protein absorbed faster. That's not a good thing. All that protein, all those amino acids slam into the kidney filters, into the glomeruli, and, and you force the glomeruli into a state of what's called hyperfiltration. And we'll go to the physiology of not a good thing. It's like driving your car in passing gear, and it's fine to you know, pull out and pass a truck, uh, but uh, you don't want to drive from L.A. to Seattle in passing gear. It, it, it burns out the engine there. And, and these folks were seeing more and more chronic kidney failure. And I think high-protein diets uh, is, uh, uh, is one major factor just in America in general. And I think these bodybuilders are, are, are uh, and, and athletes that use these powders are writing themselves a ticket to the dialysis machine in their 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, it's, it's not a natural food, and, and it, it puts a stress on the body. Second, when all those amino acids slam into the liver, uh, the liver says, hmm, amino acid building block, let's build something with them. And the liver responds by putting out a hormone, a surge of insulin-like growth factor 1, IGF-1. And this is one of the most powerful growth-promoting hormones known to biology. And it sends a message to all the cells in the body, grow, grow, divide, divide, be immortal. You know, when the, uh, when the s signals come for the cells to die off, you know, as it's supposed to happen, they, IGF-1 says, ignore those signals. You just keep dividing and growing. Uh, well, great if you're you know, a six-year-old kid you know, growing a new, new body. But if you're a 30-year-old woman with a breast cancer uh, or, or a guy with a big prostate gland, 
Now, in the last thing you want uh, is a big surge of IGF-1 on a daily basis. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. But all the old protein muscles, protein, no, no, sir or madam, now there's, there's a price for this, you know. And, and for what reason, no, the biggest, strongest animals on the planet, elephants, buffaloes, giraffes, uh, gorillas, and you don't see them eating protein powders. Uh, you know, ask any antelope about recovery, uh, you know, that it needs whey powder. That's, it's bizarre, it's marketing, and as I said, there, there can be a price to your kidneys, your liver, your whole body. Get your protein out of whole plant foods, you know. Uh, we say whole food plant-based, you know, it's become one word almost, but whole food, full stop right there, whole food, eat whole foods, eat beans, you know, things like you can identify growing in the garden. Oh, there's a cucumber, there's a tomato, there's a pot of peas, there's some snap, you know, those are beans. That's where to get your protein out of whole foods. I first heard that um, very similar to what you just said from Juliana Haver, who I'm sure you're uh, familiar with. with. And um, at that point, I because we do have some plant-based protein in the house, full, full disclosure, but I use, so it's about 19 grams a scoop, and I use about, I went down to about a half a scoop. But now I'm like, because I, I like the taste, I like the added vanilla, but boy, couldn't I just put a little like grated vanilla bean in there? Couldn't I just do a little bit of maple syrup yeah, for some sweetness? You know, a teaspoon, um, yeah, a teaspoon of that stuff, and it's, that's one thing. But man, it's just landing three scoops you know, of 30 grams each there and knock it back in 90 seconds and think you've done something good for your body. Uh, you're kidding yourself. That's 21st century marketing hype. But, but uh, are, are there guys selling the powder going to pay for your dialysis bills, you know, 10 years down the road there uh, is my concern. Mm. So. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen that in the e- I haven't, I haven't seen, seen any of that in the email. I was um <laughs> the bonus on the label there plus free dialysis. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. I actually went down the route uh, one time of of trying to build muscle um, as a plant based athlete, and I I hired someone, and the sheer volume of trying to get hundred to one hundred and fifty grams of protein on a plant based diet. I was failing. I just could not get that in per day. I, no matter what I tried, I was just so full. And I know that it's possible. I know, you know, bodybuilders can do it. But even like, I think I maxed out at like 70 to 80 a day of plant-based protein. And it, it was more, <laughs> it was more than enough. I didn't last that long on it. I did it for a short period of time. I don't even know how much I have now, but I can, but what I do, I like t- telling that story because just trying to get in that sheer volume. On a plant-based diet, it was beans, uh, you know, uh, uh, what is that, artichokes? There was some uh, insoluble fiber there. In was there was an of incredible amount of bar- Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts, <laughs> uh, tempeh. Like, um, so I was trying to do it. And, and for me, I just couldn't, I, I shouldn't say I couldn't do it. I was finding myself too full on it. So again, back to your point, like, what's the purpose? You know, what was the purpose? Do I really need to be bigger, stronger, you know, to a point where, you know, running a triathlon, which is what, we do most often endurance long distance sports where we like the long, slow stuff. Um, I actually didn't need that extra muscle. So it was just a, it was an interesting awakening of how much protein we actually, you know, do need or focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we really need to, to break that, that protein equals big muscles. Uh, and, and folks in your community, uh, uh, we can go a long way towards doing that. Yeah. Uh, you 
the body, there's, there's so much protein in the body. You're, you're, it's flowing through every tissue in your body. Your blood is full of albumin, which is a protein. And if you need more protein, you'll dismantle some albumin. The idea that you've got to be shoveling in all, all this protein into your mouth, through your liver and your kidneys just to get up to your muscles and think that that's healthy. Uh, no, you need, I don't know, 80 grams, 90 grams. The big rippling muscles come from the gym where you're, where you're actually using them. You, you want to, you know, that's sweating there, you know, is uh, making those muscles big. Uh, it's not the protein in your diet. We really need to, to break. That's lazy um, conditioning, you know. Uh, expect the protein powders to do the work for it. No, you got to do the work and, and be gentle with your kidneys and your liver along the way there. Yeah, but because we were, you know, we, what's sadder than these old broken down football players who use steroids and all that when they were 30 and then you see them when they're 60 and they're just shells. Well, I'm afraid that the bodybuilder is doing all the protein, protein, protein. Um, when they're 60 and 70, you're going to see that that's really taking a toll of their, on their bodies. This is, this is not health. Um, this, is, this is showmanship. And there's a price. I'm sorry, so we, we can move on. I'm not get off my showbox here. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, I mean, great. do we... Do we want to kind of stay on this uh, diet, maybe yeah. touch upon oh, a little yeah, yeah. Uh, keto paleo uh, movement that's happening and get your get your take on that? Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, fasten your seatbelts here. The, uh, the the paleo thing, don't eat anything the caveman ancestors didn't eat. They, they died off at age 40. They got eaten by lions or whatever. Uh, but like that's, that's what we're supposed to emulate. Um, well, first of all, again, it's a marketing myth, this idea that every Neanderthal had a mastodon in the freezer and spent all day eating mammoth meat. Ah, I'm a caveman, I eat mammoth meat, that's what I do. It's simply not true. Uh, first of all, most hunts were unsuccessful. Most times the guys came back empty-handed. If they did drag a carcass into camp, it, there was no refrigeration, it rotted within days became the toxic actually and when you examine the the fossilized fecal droppings of the paleo folks and they're, they are they're, they're abundant they're called copoliths you see the the mass of them the stool mass that these folks were passing the amount of fiber these folks were eating they're just huge the 100 150 grams of fiber a day because Contrary to the mighty hunter myth, uh, most of the calories brought into the Paleolithic camp were gathered by the women who spent all day gathering starchy roots and tubers and um, digging up various uh, you know, uh, beets, etc., wild versions of that, uh, and gathering the nuts and seeds and wild grasses and fruits, etc., <clears throat> um, We've got, uh, you know, we're not carnivorous apes. We've got fingers on our hands, not claws. We've got long intestines for digesting fiber. We've got small mouths with rotary jaw joints and flat grinding molar teeth to uh, to grind to grains and, uh, uh, and, and starchy vegetables. These little tiny little stubs of canines are, you can't bite into an animal's hide, but you can bite into an apple 
or, uh, or root with them. And you know, we've got enzymes in our saliva for digesting starch. Isn't that not a message from the universe about what, you know, what our natural diet is? And then we're, we're plant-eating hominids. We've got basically the same digestive system that our gorilla and bonobo cousins have. And they're up in the trees eating leaves and fruit, growing these magnificent bodies, passing these big stools, and not developing diabetes and, and, and artery disease and hypertension, etc. Et and so our natural diet is not a diet based on animal flesh, first and for starters. And medically... When I hear these, especially often young guys, oh yeah, you ought to be eating paleo, you ought to be eating keto. And he's telling people to be eating flesh of, of animals two, three times a day, packing their intestinal tract with it. Well, man, from what I've seen in the last 48 years of medical practice, that's a great recipe. These folks are brewing up an epidemic of colon cancer. There's all these cooked carcinogens rub on the colon wall. Is it great? They're going to give an epidemic of heart attacks and strokes. Is all the saturated fat and cholesterol damage these folks' arteries? They're going to see a ton of type 2 diabetes. Is all the fat clogs up insulin receptors? This is a great way to spawn Crohn's disease and colitis, the microbes that these that a meat-based diet summons up are very aggressive microbes that invade the gut wall and, uh, and uh, uh, over the door to Crohn's disease and colitis. And if you want to cause Alzheimer's disease, mm, meat-based diet, a great way with all, you know, when you cook meat, you produce what's called advanced glycation end products. And, uh, and these are nasty uh, molecules that, that that damage the inner lining of arteries. When you see the arteries of people with Alzheimer's, you see how swollen and, and chock full they are of these AGEs. Um, this is a, a, a recipe for for disaster, and it's dry by medical advice. These young guys, oh, you ought to be in paleo. And, I would ask, are you going to be around 15 years when this guy passes his first bloody stool from that colon cancer that your meat-based diet spawned in his colon wall? You won't be around. You'll be off to your luxury spa appointment at clinic director in Phoenix. You won't even see this person uh, who's, who's following your advice. You're going to be around in 18 years. This lady has her big old stroke from that carotid plaque that your, artery, that your diet spawned her artery wall. You won't be around to see it. Now, this is really irresponsible. You know, we... Uh, we uh, practice medicine with the adage, do no harm. Well, that applies to dietary advice, too. You, you hurt somebody with bad dietary advice, and I think a tremendous amount of harm is being done by, by these, these booksellers. They're, nobody's eaten a paleo diet for 20 years, for 30 years. They have no idea really what they're talking about or what the effect is really going to be. We know from the blue zones that a whole food plant-based diet is compatible with living 100 years or more. That's where the centenarians live. Uh, and they're not vegans, but the amount of flesh they eat is tiny, a couple times a week mixed into some side dish. They don't eat animal flesh through two, three times a day in the hunks that, that we do here. So the whole paleo thing is sad. It's marketing. Uh, it's going to lead to an epidemic of disease in the people who follow it. The people lose weight initially. They do. And, and, and I have doctors say, listen, my patients get better when I put them on a paleo diet. And, and yeah, they, they lose weight, their cholesterol gets better, diabetes gets better. Absolutely. Because <clears throat> the paleo folks say some things I agree with. They say no caveman ever milked a dairy cow, so they're down on dairy. 
No caveman ever crushed the fat out of olives and poured it out of their, their salads, so they're, uh, they're down on oil products. And there's no caveman ever crushed wheat and turned it into flour to make vegan cupcakes, so they're down on baked goods. And you, well, you eliminate the, the, the dairy, the oil, and the flour products from your diet, man. You, you're going to trim down. That's going to do good things for you. And that'll lower your cholesterol, and that'll make your, uh, your uh, insulin resistance uh, decrease. But I say, folks, don't be seduced by these early changes. What are you really brewing up long term? This is like putting diesel fuel in a gasoline burning engine. And, and you're going to create some really adverse uh, uh, changes that are going to be, they come on hard and irreversible once you get the cancer or the stroke. And finally, as long as we're, oh, we've opened Pandora's box there. <laughs> You're probably aware um, that large-scale industrial animal agriculture is the driving force as, as they're meeting in Glasgow now at the, the environmental meeting of the UN about all the major things going to, they're doing and nibble around the edges. The majority of greenhouse gases are generated by industrial animal agriculture. That's why they're cutting down the forest and burning them the, to make cropland and grazing land for beef. Um, that's, that's where most of the water is going. Most of the soils are eroding off corn and soybean uh, fields for animal fodder. Now, most greenhouse gases, the carbon dioxide, you know, we kill 80 billion living creatures every year, cows, pigs, chickens, that are all breathing out carbon dioxide. They're, they're all belching out methane. They're eating grains grown with ammonia fertilizers um, that, are, um, that are putting nitrous oxide into the air. Uh, we need to stop eating animals and let the forest come back. We're, we're talking about carbon capture technology. Nature already designed the best carbon capture technology going. It's called trees. And we, we, had, we had six trillion trees before white men came to North America, and uh, now we're down to three million. We've cut down half the trees and, and growing beef on them. We need to stop eating, stop the killing machine, let the forest come back. And as the forest as trees grow, they take carbon dioxide out of the air uh, and uh, make it solid as wood and reverse global warming beautifully. So why did I go off this tangent? Because when I hear the paleo folks saying, paleo is the best way to eat. Everybody ought to be eating paleo. Absolutely. Sir, madam, there's 8 billion people on this planet. Are you seriously proposing a flesh-based meal three times a day for 8 billion homo sapiens on this planet? Are, what planet are you on that's going to destroy all life on this planet? It's, a, it's such an arrogant, elitist, oh, everybody ought to be paleo. Uh, it's an outrageously uh, indulgent diet as far as I can see. It's going to destroy the planet. It's just, it's so out of time and place for where we are now that we, they should be embarrassed, and, and hopefully they will. I urge everyone to get a little book by Glenn Merzer, M-E-R-Z-E-R, called Food is Climate. And, um, and he, he lays this out just beautifully in 60 pages. Uh, everybody should read that. Oh my God! You have to check Whoa, that out. you are that's, dropping the bombs, Dr. Cooper. You asked about paleo. You know, that's, that's what I think about paleo. No, I love it. I love it. I love your passion, you know. And I said it in the intro. You've been shining your light bright, and don't ever dim that light. And I, I know you won't. And. 
And I would think that what you just said, uh, our audience will be paying particular attention to because endurance athletes are all about the long game. We are all about not just what's right in front of us, but the long game. And we want to be in this sport. We love what we're doing. And it's not just about, um, you know, racing, it's racing well, and it's racing longer. And it's, you know, we do so much to recover and prepare and prepare our bodies for the next day training, that we need to hear this stuff uh, in order to be able to live in alignment with what it is that we say we rally around, which is that long game. Really? So that I that was amazing. It doesn't matter what your cholesterol level is or what your recovery time is. If we don't have a viable planet to live on, none of that's going to matter. And the long game doesn't is really where we should be looking. Thank you for bringing that concept up. I'm sorry, I touched you. Yes. That's what, you cut me off yeah, as much as you want. You're the star <laughs> of the show. Uh, but I want to circle back around because we've talked about the killing and we talked about this horrible crying of the mother cows. And what m- people may not know is that actually the, the benefits of a plant, whole food plant-based diet was not what drove you to eating a vegan diet or a whole food plant-based diet, that it actually was tied into removing violence from your, from your life. And um, if you could just tell us that little piece that drove you into this, which then, of course, just dropped you right in the middle of your life's purpose. Well, um, as I said, with my summers on the dairy farm, I saw the truth of of not only meat eating, but meat production. There's just no way you can get a piece of meat on the plate uh, without killing them, without violence. I chopped the heads off chickens. I saw the cow shot in the head. Um, It's it's inherently violent. And that stuck with me as a child. And then growing up and going through medical school, I spent uh, many of the Saturday nights in my fourth year of med school over at the trauma unit at Big Battle Cook County Hospital in Chicago. And I saw the worst of what human beings do to each other, the shotgun blasts, the machete chops, the, the, the baseball skull fractures, baseball bats. And I would leave Sunday morning shaking from what I had seen. And I, had, I vowed that if I couldn't end violence in the world, at least I'd want to get the violence out of my own life. And so I started making a serious study of living a life of nonviolence. The Sanskrit word is ahimsa for that. And so I started reading books about it from Mahatma Gandhi, who was very eloquent on that, read Gandhi's books, read uh, books by Satchitananda and other Indian saints about living a life of nonviolence. And I try to go through life with not only leaving as little gentle awake behind me as possible, but but helping as many people along the way so when they leave my presence, they feel a little little bit brighter, a little bit more healed. And and I thought I was getting pretty good at it. Uh, When I I went out for dinner, I was in 1981, uh, and I was an anesthesia resident in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I'm out for dinner with another resident and pontificating about living a life of nonviolence while I'm polishing off a porterhouse steak at the local keg and cleaver. And uh, yeah, John looks at me with great compassion and says, that's all well and good, Michael. But if you want to get the violence out of your life, you might start with that piece of meat on your plate. 
because in satisfying your desire for the taste of flesh in your mouth, which is really what you're doing, you are paying for the death of the animal and for the next one in line at the slaughterhouse. You're paying for that. You should know that. Well, when he said that, in my mind, all flash, all the old rationalizations, well, the animal's dead already, and that's what they raised them for, and all of those lines that we all use. But before I could get the words out, uh, the little voice on my shoulder said, you know, he's right. He's right. Yeah, I, if, if I was going to have any integrity at all, I had to at least own that. And when I went up to pay for the meal, I felt complicit in a crime because I knew what those lovely cows, you know, they're all sweet animals. They, they just, uh, they're, uh, really, they're, my, they're my favorite animal on the farm. And, uh, and I was just feeling just dreadful about it. And I knew my meeting days were, were coming to the end, to an end at that point. Uh, and uh, so I stopped eating meat. Uh, my body loved it. Within 12 weeks, a 20-pound spare tire of fat melted off my waist. My high blood pressure went to normal. My high cholesterol went to normal. I felt great waking up in a nice, lean body every day. Uh, and uh, there was no turning back at that point. It changed my career. I, I knew I did not want to be an anesthesiologist and spend my days putting people to sleep, literally. I'd rather go back to general practice and help them wake up, right? So I did, much to my parents' dismay. I had six months to go in my anesthesia residency. They were not, do you know the money you are giving up? But it just was not in truth uh, to be an anesthesiologist. I knew there was teaching to be done that I could not do uh, as uh, working in the operating room. And uh, so I left the anesthesia, went back to general practice, and uh, found people in my area in northern Florida that gave cooking lessons, vegan cooking lessons, and I would send my patients to them. And those who could follow a plant-based diet uh, observed the same wonderful changes I did. They, uh, the, the, within days of adopting a, a truly you know, whole food plant-based diet, you just fill in your belly up with colorful salads and hearty vegetable soups and big plates of steamed veggies and Asian curries and, and Mexican chilies. And it's a wonderful cuisine. Uh, well, the, the, the body fat starts melting away. It's, it's mostly fiber and water. People trim down. The arteries relax. The high blood pressure comes down. The sore joints stop hurting. The, the asthmatic lungs stop wheezing so much. The migraine headaches get better. Their insulin resistance gets less. They turn into normal, healthy people right before your eyes. And it's, it's the most stunning transformation I've ever seen. It still amazes me that after 30 years of doing this, and, uh, and, and I tell the young men, what greater gift could you want for your patients? I mean, why, do you go, why are you going into medicine? You want to heal these people or don't you? You want to heal them, then get real about why they're sitting in front of you, doctor, overweight, hypertensive, diabetic, clogged up, inflamed, from what they're eating, from what they're running through their bloodstream every four hours. But, but we don't learn anything about that in medical school. We just blow right past it. Well, it's never been proven that food has any effect because they don't want to see that. Like, like the skeptics that didn't want to look through Galileo's telescope to see that the Earth was not the center of the universe. Well, they, don't want to, they don't want to open that door because <laughs> yeah, it you know, destroys the pharmaceutical model, it destroys the economic model. But if we're truly healers, then we have no choice. And it's unfair, it's unethical to withhold this information from our patients. Whether or not the, 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 the doctor does it himself, whether or not the patient does it, you at least 
owe the patient the information. I have a four-page handout that I give to my patients on the way out the door. By the way, you want to get rid of your diabetes? You want to get rid of your high blood pressure? You want to get rid of your lupus? Here. Read this handout. Visit these websites. Watch these videos. Go read this article. And call the plant-based dietitian, Ms. Smith, and let her spend a session or two. Let her take you shopping. Let her uh, talk about what to eat. You come back and see me in a month. Let's see if you're not doing better, which they will be. And, you know, that's how medicine should be practiced. And yet this spectacularly powerful, eminently available, essentially free modality that's the most powerful disease-reversing mechanism we know of is, is not taught to med students and it's not utilized among the public. Well, that's got to change. At this day and age, it's embarrassing for, uh, for my profession to be so nutritionally ignorant to be treating our patients. And I tell the students, if you're just going to practice medicine and we see a patient every couple of months just to raise their doses of statins and beta blockers and tell them they'll lose some weight, you're going to leave medicine. Because I hear them grumbling in the call, ah, they're all, my patients are all getting fatter and sicker. That's right, doctor. They're not going to need stents. If you don't talk to them about what they're reading, that's what you're going to see. That's true, but it doesn't have to be like that. <clears throat> and... It's, it's tricky, you know, because there's a culture, ooh, can't talk about the diet, that's, that's cultural, you know, like Harry Potter in the movie, uh, Voldemort, uh, the, the villain, and the, the name must not be spoken, ooh, <laughs> so don't ask about people's diets, ooh, that's, yes, doctor, ask about their diet, and all the meat and cheese and oil and sugar, no matter what nationality is, and is the reason, the body doesn't care, that just knows what's in the bloodstream, and this is the result you're looking at. So um, this became such a driving force that it became my mission. Uh, I, I've been going around to the medical schools. We established a nonprofit uh, initiative called Moving Medicine Forward. Uh, and people can go to our, my website, drclapper.com. I'm sure you'll have a link. And click on Moving Medicine Forward. And you'll see that uh, before COVID, I was going to medical schools across North America, to Canada, to Mexico, to Australia, New Zealand, to Europe, to Poland, Lithuania. Uh, and as I step up to the microphone, I say to the students, and I want to talk to the first, second, third year students before pharmacosclerosis sets into their brains. And so, and I said, listen, I'm going to give you the lecture I wish somebody had given me 50 years ago. It would have changed every diagnosis I made, changed every treatment plan I recommended, because all I learned was well, the cause of hypertension, or oh, etiology unknown, we don't know the cause. Yet it's the food, it was, it was the cause, but and I'm here to tell you what your professors aren't telling me. And I do it respectively and with humor, but somebody's got to tell these students that. And I think it makes a difference. Uh, uh, I get these wonderful feedback notes from the students. Why didn't somebody tell us this? This really changes everything. They say, once you look behind the curtain, you can't pretend you don't know what's behind the curtain. You know? and, and I'm there to rip that curtain down and say, Here, mm -hmm. here's a powerful tool. You want to learn about it? Don't rock the boat right now, but learn the physiology. When you get out into practice, practice medicine in a plant-based modality, and, and you'll see the wonderful changes that, uh, that, that I do. You bring true healing to your patients. So uh, I was going around to med school after med school, and then along comes COVID. And, um, and so now what do I do? Well, like everybody else in the world, I went online. And uh, we did a 12-unit master class in applied plant-based clinical nutrition. 
And uh, it's, it's, I, I don't live in airports anymore like I used to, but I'm going to more medical schools than ever by Zoom. I'm, I'm going to Baylor in Houston tomorrow. I was just at Yale last week. I was at the University of Buffalo the week before, UC San Diego, uh, University of Washington, Seattle. I'm visiting more med schools than ever. And each of these med schools, there, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has these LMIGs, Lifestyle Medicine Interest Group. And these are first, second, third year students um, who want to learn about this. And, and media has made it a bit easier for me, thank you, because nowadays it's an easier sell because in every med student class, there's 20 or 30 students. They've seen films like Forks Over Knives. They've seen Game Changers. They've seen What the Hell. They've seen Cows. The lights on. And, and there's always some professors in the back of the room with their arms folded going cluck, cluck, cluck. But they're, they're the old guard. You know, it's the, the, I want to, uh, to awaken the, the younger students. So uh, what you know about, you see. And I want them to know about this so they'll start seeing it. So I'm a busy guy. Doctor means teacher. It comes from the same word as doctrine. And so I, uh, my job is to teach these med students and wake them up. And it's not just the medical student. Dental and pharmacy and nursing and podiatry and physical therapy, occupational therapy, all of them. They're all dealing with patients with nutrition-based diseases. And they all need to turn on that, that plant-based light and, and share the joy of watching their patients get healthy. So long answer, but that's, uh, that's how... Uh, the, uh, the, the cruelty of the dairy barn got me into teaching medical school. <laughs> Three-way bank shot. <laughs> yeah, how it started and how it's going. Yeah. And I just, um, I, I am so optimistic about the work that you're doing and in getting into medical schools. It's, and, and this is such a, a bad comparison but this non-alcoholic beer just came out and they've been sponsoring all these big triathlons and it's really good. And I'm just like, why did it take so long to get this really good non-alcoholic beer? <laughs> and it's like, why is it taking so long for this information to get into med school? Because we have interviewed doctor after doctor after doctor who have said the same thing as you, which is why didn't I get this information when I was in med school? And so, oh my gosh, you just keep falling further into the role that you came here to play and um, wow, so amazing to to be able to be alive when this this, this is happening. Change, yeah, because uh, you're definitely influencing the future of medicine. It's quite a thing to, to marvel witness, at, yeah. you know, to witness. Um, and so, as we kind of wrap up our interview, I'd love to touch upon fasting because. You spent a lot of time up at True North as one of their uh, physicians up there and supervising a lot of water-only fasting. We had Dr. Goldhammer on the podcast uh, earlier this year, and we would love to dive into some of the expertise that you were able to collect over your years there. Right. What a remarkable thing. And another powerful modality that is not even mentioned in medical school. If you mentioned it, you're looked at as a quack and a subversive. But the truth is that, you know, it probably was imprinted into our physiology a million years ago, literally. I'm sure our ancient foraging ancestors on the African savannah ran into days at a time where there was just, there was no fruit on the berry bushes or no carcasses rotting in the sun. And four, five, six days would go by before you found that next berry bush. And intermittent fasting, periods of, of days without eating, were probably the rule. 
And when you stop eating carbohydrates, which is our natural fuel, our mitochondria burn carbohydrates, not fats, sorry keto folks, but we are carbohydrate sugar burning organisms. Um, when you when that the supply of uh, easily burnable sugar stops, then we've got to start metabolizing our own body fat. And uh, we're able to make this metabolic shift fairly easily within 48 hours. Uh, there's you're metabolizing fat and the byproducts of the uh, of the fat metabolism called ketones come into the bloodstream and they signal some amazing changes in the body. Uh, inflammation starts subsiding. Uh, cancer growth slows down or, or stops. Um, the, the body becomes more sensitive to insulin. Uh, remarkable changes happen, and very importantly, uh, the stem cells in our bone marrow, in our skin, our brain, etc., uh, that are usually are dividing and creating new cells. When there's just ketones around there, they say, uh-oh, there's not, we're maybe in a time of low energy intake here. Stop all these cell divisions here. Let's kind of hunker down here and see what's happening. And the body's stem cells, uh, these very precious uh, uh, pieces of protoplasm, uh, go into a state of stability. They increase their antioxidant molecules to protect them against acids and free radicals, etc. They just kind of wait there. Um, but that's a, you know, a, a reasonable expected uh, uh, adaption. Well, the point of this is that if you've got a cancer in the body, cancer cells can't do that. Well, they, they, they can't get in that hunker down um, uh, mode. And so they, <clears throat> they continue dividing and doing their cancer growth things. And that makes the, uh, the body much more susceptible if you're going to get chemotherapy for breast cancer or whatever. I tell my patients, go in on day three of water fast, and you're going to get a lot more effect out of the chemotherapy. And the same thing with if you're going to have radiation therapy. Don't, don't say anything to the oncologist. Don't just freak them out. But, but go in on day two or three of water fast and watch not only how much more effective the treatment is, but how much better you recover. You won't be vomiting. You won't have the, uh, uh, the lack of appetite. Many of the side effects are much uh, reduced. So fasting is a remarkable state, and we use it for people. It's a medical procedure the way we do it, or, you know, days and days and days of fasting. But, boy, it lowers high blood pressure. You can't hold high blood pressure on, on a water fast unless there's some uh, underlying problem there. Uh, diabetes usually gets better. And inflammation subsides. People come in with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus arthritis. Uh, within 10 day 10 or 12 on a water fast, oh man, the pain has subsided. If there was a pill that did what a water fast does, you know, we'd be trillionaires. It's a very powerful modality. You got to do it right. We monitor these folks twice a day. We're on there. We're taking their vital signs. We draw blood once a week. We've got on-site doctors. This is nutritional medicine done right. But the payoff, of course, is... And uh, as I mentioned in my lectures, the fast is wonderful, but what really matters is what you eat after the fast. Because if you go back to cheeseburgers and buffalo wings, uh, Cinderella turns back into a pumpkin within days. It's stunning how quickly the joints start hurting and the blood pressure goes up. You reverse all of this. The water fast is a stepping off place to a whole food plant-based diet that is the real healer here. It's just a kind of a jump start uh, to get into healing mode. 
But as powerful as it is, it, it's not the uh, it's not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is growing in the garden, and you you run a plant based diet through bloodstream, and everything changes. The antioxidants, the free radicals subside. This it's our natural fuel. So we use fasting, but we also you know by day three they're not hungry. So you send them. We we do cooking classes now. We do it by video there uh, because of COVID. But we want them when they go home to walk into the kitchen and say, I know what to eat here. And, you know, that's the, the, the mm-hmm. most powerful thing that True North does is teach people how to eat. And yes, the fasting is a useful modality, uh, but it's certainly not the focus. The focus is, is eating whole, whole plant foods and getting yourself truly healthy. Yeah, so the, uh, the most important thing is not necessarily the fast, it's what happens after the fast. You got the lesson there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like when we fast, like the awareness factor, I love that you bring in the education of the foods and meals to eat because my clarity goes way up. Oh, yes. Like I'm much more focused and attentive. Oh, it's remarkable. People would stop me in the courtyard. I haven't felt this good in years. You got all this energy and clarity. I haven't eaten in three weeks. But I feel wonderful. I, I'm not hungry. I feel great. It's, it's a remarkable state the body is able to shift into. Uh, and, and it can last for quite a number of, uh, of days. Uh, so, yes, so we, we sell ourselves short. You know, we're constantly eating and shoveling in. You know, we're treating our, our mouths as a, as a pleasure organ here. And, uh, uh, and it's, not, uh, it's not its true purpose. And so uh, eating... I've been, I'm, my eating's gone down to, I have one, one big meal a day, basically, in mid-afternoon. I, I have my salad, bowl of vegetable soup, and some steamed veggies, some quinoa, whatever. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, no, I have a little fruit earlier in the day, uh, but those big breakfasts I'm not having anymore. I have a little fruit, gets me to midday, have my main meal, and by 7 in the evening, I, I may have a, you know, a little second helping here, and that's it. Uh, you know, I'm trying, trying to stop late-night eating. And uh, and uh, I keep my eating to about an eight-hour window, and I'm I'm feeling really good. I just turned seventy-four, and I feel great. I went for a forty-mile bike ride a couple of days ago, and I feel like I did when I was forty. And not much has changed, and so I'm enjoying my seventies. I enjoyed my fifties and sixties too, and uh, so far the seventies are unfolding just great. So, uh, so life is good. Uh, enjoy every precious day. They go by fast, let me tell you. They do, they do. Um, I love that you went for a 40-mile bike. I'm curious if you have any insight on athletes and fasting. Um, athletes benefits. And fasting? Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, be careful. Um, if you're basically a healthy person uh, and you don't have a lot of body fat, whatever, if you're a lean runner or whatever, yeah, you, you, uh, fasting can be really stressful. You, you know, you're not carrying a lot of body fat there, and you don't want to start metabolizing muscle. And yes, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? If you're eating a healthy plant-based diet, if you're just eating rice and beans and greens and fruits and veggies, what do you have to clean out? There, uh, by and large, that, that's an unnecessary stress. And, you know, the medical fasting is uh, for folks, you know, from the standard Western diet, and all full of meat and cheese, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, that said... Um, could a, a brief fast uh, over a weekend, a three-day fast on, on water or vegetable broth make you feel better? Maybe clean out from the from the pizza, the vegan pizza you had on Saturday. Sure, and you know, anytime we're not eating, it's a good thing. And anytime we're just drinking water or vegetable broth, 
Um, there's a lovely way to, if you give your body a little time off, give your liver, give your intestinal tract a, a little rest there. So I'm for, for short fast. I've got uh, patients who just every other weekend they'll do a, a, a three-day fast on water or juices or vegetable broth. Um, there's that 18-hour window that we're talking about. Don't start eating till noon and, and stop eating by 6 or 7 in the evening. Um, and so there's various ways to get the fasting benefits. I mean, what you think, what does that 18-hour window do? Because your body doesn't know that food is coming, and already the metabolic gears are starting to turn that are going to, on the way to full ketosis, you don't really get there because you eventually do eat. But those early changes, you're already shifting into the molecules, sirtuins are being released, that's that suppress inflammation. The body is already shifting into that early healing gear of ketosis, and a little little toe in the water of that day after day after day after day, because we're talking about doing it pretty much every day. It helps. It absolutely helps. And, you know, you're not going to wind up obese and diabetic without a plant-based diet in an eight-hour window there. Yeah, that, that's what I've learned is that it's, you know, for, for us, pretty low body fat, um, whole foods, plant-based diet, very low alcohol. That High exercise. High exercise that... <laughs> we don't need these long fasts. So for us, it's 12 hours. Sometimes it's longer, but we haven't done more than 24. And when we do that, it's a rest day. Yeah, just yes, resting the yes, body. And thank you for that. If you are fasting, this is not the time for a 10K run. Uh, let, let your body, this is time to rest. You don't have to lay in bed. But you, know, you can do a little yoga, a little stretching, but that's it. Um, do not do anything aerobic. You'll drop your blood sugar dangerously low and uh, not a good thing. We've had that happen a couple times at True North. Now, this is a time to rest and meditate, balance your checkbook, get, 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 you know, to be uh, a, uh, people still do that. Uh, be, uh, uh, you know, but it's just a time to pull, pull your energy in. It's not the time to be out there blasting all sorts. There's a time for that later, but not during a fast. So, yeah, and it's a good time to heal an injury. I think wounds and sprained ankles, etc., probably heal probably faster when we're in ketosis. Hard um, to do this study, but that's the impression mm -hmm. you get. So uh, all the way around is a time for healing, not, not a time for activity. Glad you brought that up. Wonderful, and that's what medicine is for too, right? Like being in the medical field, mm -hmm. it's for healing. And so I believe that with doctors like you and the crew at plant-based telehealth and all these other amazing plant-based doctors that are realizing that it's not just food and it certainly isn't just medication, that it's a whole lifestyle that um, you guys are changing the game out there. And we certainly appreciate your time today, Dr. Clapper. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And you mentioned plant-based telehealth. If people would like a, a medical consultation from a real live plant-based doctor who won't go if you tell them you're a vegan, uh, go to plantbasedtelehealth.com. We've got uh, nine doctors on staff that we have medical licenses in all 50 states. So there's a doctor at Plant Based Telehealth waiting for you. And check out my YouTube channel. I'm sure they'll have the uh, uh, the link down here. We post videos several times a week, send in questions, and uh, follow me on uh, my YouTube channel there. So you have to get that in 21st century. We've got yeah. to get those in now. <laughs> yeah, you uh, can give yourself a plug. It's been a wonderful interview. Thank you for letting me... Uh, I uh, get all these thoughts out here. You guys are doing such great work, and, and you're addressing a very key part of the, our society, the, the athletes, the people who are really serious about making themselves better, making the world better, 
uh, and you're right at the apex of that and cheering folks on and providing such valuable information and such a great example. Uh, so keep up your great work. Know that I'm a, I'm a big fan. Oh, thank oh, you so thank much. You. It's such a blessing. Thank you. We really appreciate it and have enjoyed our time with you equally. Thank you. Be well. Stay happy.